Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Munzenreiter, and I'm joined this week by Patrick Kagongo and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite to talk about the new Mason Silva part. But first, there's been a lot of cool stuff happening in women's skateboarding this week, so we invited Coda Skateboards writer and Washington, D.C. local Maddie Hazlett on the show to get her perspectives on uh, a lot of news this week. So thanks for taking the time to hang out with us and chat, Maddie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk about all the cool news that's been coming out. It seems like a lot happened. Normally a year's worth of women's skate stuff happened in about seven days. So that's pretty rad. We love it. So here, here's here's the framing. Congress is boosting the heck out of Alexis Sablon's new pro model shoe. A lot of hype around that. Uh, Samari Brevard landed on Meow after, well, Enjoy folded, essentially. And Una Farrar podcast favorite now has a board on crooked maddie uh all of this news happened like what what what's got you happiest to see i think probably una going pro i mean full uh discretion she is my favorite skateboarder so your favorite skateboarder only turns pro one time and i think it's really well deserved and almost maybe a little overdue i think she's been putting out really good parts pretty much ever since that Vans credits part came out. I think she's kind of really elevated and taken her skateboarding in a really cool direction and kind of does things a little bit different. So it's really nice to see her go pro and also go pro for a more uh, legacy brand. I feel like a lot of women and non-traditional skateboarders will go pro for companies that are kind of created for them. And I don't like want to say anything against them. I love like there and glue and Meow and all those skateboards uh, companies that are doing awesome things for the community, but it's also really nice to see like a legacy brand um, at Deluxe do something with a non-traditional skateboarder and kind of push a lot of emphasis behind her. So that got me really stoked and honestly made my whole day when it happened. I was really psyched because that came out of, I don't know, relatively nowhere and like, I don't know, I, I can get jaded about the pro reveal things, but Una was like so genuinely psyched that and she's one of my favorite skaters just in terms of like, I, I think of her as a skater skater in a lot of ways. Like she's doing it in really cool ways. Um, Patrick, I know what you, you, you were more on Alexis and the Guggenheim and I, I, I kind of missed some of that, but so fill me in there. Was, was that your highlight or what? Uh, yeah, it was actually. Um, so Converse decided to throw a massive party for polymath and all around people's champ. Alexis Sablon for the release of her new shoe and also as a celebration of her years of work, not just in skateboarding, but as an architect, as a designer, as a musician, as a creative person and somebody who serves as a role model to everybody who has lots of different interests. But what was interesting was that Jenkins did an interview with her recently about the shoe uh, in the run up to the shoe release. And Alexis revealed that for many years, she has not made a living from skateboarding, skateboarding, skateboarding. It's been contests and her extracurriculars, which actually means that her extracurriculars are the things that are paying the bills. And Maddie, I, I wanted to uh, first give this question to you and then open this up. We're at this space now where skateboarding is every day starting to look more and more like skateboarders. Skateboarding is very diverse. Lots of different types of people skate. There have always been women and non-binary people in skating. But in terms of getting a check and being able to put the lights on, keep the lights on. You know, Maddie, we met you at Slow Impact where there was a absolutely wonderful panel called Per Diem or Podium. Excuse me, Podium or Per Diem was led by Alex White. And it was a group of non-binary and women skaters talking about how challenging it is to make a living and to fight for acceptance, whether it's in the van or in the contest arena. So... How's the landscape feel for you? And more importantly, like, how's it feel in a city like Washington, D.C. that the whole world is paying attention to the last great American plaza city? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I think that it's definitely moving in the right direction. I don't think anyone's going to say that it isn't. I mean, it used to be like Elisa Steamer end of conversation, right? So the fact that we've moved past that and... Um, kind of like what I was alluding at before, how these legacy brands are starting to pay attention. I think that's a really good sign of an overall direction for the industry. But obviously, it's still very uh, tokenized, for lack of a better word. I think that it's like 
companies will be like, all right, there's our check mark. We're done. We don't really have to do anything. And normally that check mark, unfortunately, ends at like flowing or like having giving them like one girl boards. So now that we're seeing them turn pro, I think that's really cool. And uh, for Alexis with this shoe, from what I can think of off the top of my head, Nora and Lizzie are the only other girls right now who have their own shoe. I mean, some girls are getting colorways and things like that. But as all of us know, if you want to be a professional skateboarder and you want to pay the bills with this and you don't want to just skate in street league all the time, you have to have a shoe. So the fact that there's only... I mean, if I'm missing one, still maybe five at most people in the whole scene who are able to support themselves off of traditional street skating, which is what a shoe sponsor, I think, really gives you, I think still speaks to the fact that we do need to have some like more visibility and uh, more companies kind of getting behind it. Because I think that when you go to the local level, the amount of women who are getting hooked up and the amount of women who are like getting seen is not equal to the amount of women who are skateboarding and it used to be when I was like younger that I would go to the skate park and hardly see anyone else and now I can't remember a time I got to the skate park and there hasn't been another girl and most of the time I don't even know them and that's really cool and I think that companies are maybe missing that opportunity a little bit to reach out because all of these young girls are just having the same people. They all just love Nora and um, who who doesn't love Nora? She's amazing. But I think they could really tap into that a little bit more. And then to answer your question about specifically DC and I think overall the greater East Coast scene, I think it's even farther behind. I think we're seeing a little bit more equity and equality in skating on the West Coast where we're having just like more volume of skateboarders coming out. But there's still so few women and young girls who are like even getting seen by skate shops um because that's what, where it all starts right like in my general vicinity that i live in the greater dmv area there's probably 10 or 12 skate shops and i think i'm the only woman here that has a skate shop sponsor and like, like that's especially for the east coast like how people get found right I've, obviously social media is huge but if you want to go through the traditional route of skating and like get float stuff and film parts with the local filmer you go through the skate shop and they're just not supporting it in very many capacities so i think that yeah we do still have a lot more work and it's nice to see that we're getting these high level examples so people have things to strive for so like on a personal level you can be motivated but from an industry standpoint on all facets from the local level of your skate shop all the way up to the big Nike, adidas new balance converse i think it still needs a, a lot of work yeah that's an interesting point because I mean I, I live in the DMV too on Battle Richmond and like same here I've seen like so many more girls women you know getting into skating recently and like yeah it seems like they're not getting onto that track of like shop sponsor like getting getting flowed getting on a board company for real you know shoes blah 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 so yes interesting point for sure Dr. Luna for Robert saying I think like a getting on b going pro for a company like Mark Gonzalez's company specifically is a really big like feather in the cap. You know what I mean? So that's something. Yeah, no doubt. Follow up question then, Maddie. Something I've heard from some of the more regressive, stick in the mud, orthodox folks in the skateboard industry is they don't seem to understand where society is is right now, right? That you have women and non-binary people taking up space, actively taking space. Uh, in skateboarding and challenging the idea of being a it being a boys club and the thing I don't understand is that you know these are the same dudes who see this happening in politics in all sorts of other professions which are arguably that much more difficult and have a lot more scrutiny what do you think is what do you think is is what's your response to those dudes and they are mostly dudes who are bristling at the fact that there are more Maddies in the world you know, that there are more Noras in the world, um, that there are more Marbies in the world. Like, what is what is the what is what is your response to them uh, who just can't seem to get with it? Yeah, I think like my harsh answer is that we don't skate for them. I don't go and skateboard to impress like some guy who thinks that he should be getting America shoes because he jumped down a handrail. I skate first and foremost because it's fun and I love it and it's the best thing ever. And then from a more 
industry point of view, like these folks that are getting recognition and finally getting spotlight are like doing it for a demographic that isn't that person, right? So Adidas didn't make a Nora shoe because they were trying to sell a shoe to Billy who lives in Nebraska. They're selling it to Susan who, or Susie, who just got her first board and she goes to the skate shop and she sees someone who looks like her and she's like, wow, I can skateboard too. This isn't just a bunch of white guys jumping down handrails. And I think that's like the thing that a lot of people forget. And I think it's getting better for women in general and maybe for specifically black women, it's not really there yet. Like I think there's less than five black women who have their name on a skateboard. And there's these two girls at the plaza, um, OG DC, Darren Harper, I'm sure you guys all know him, has two daughters named Tink and Demi, and they are the raddest kids in the entire world. And they skate so hard and they love it. And the fact that like someone like Beatrice or like Samaria has their name on their board on a board is just so huge. And that is like what I would say to those people is like, they're not doing this so that you get stoked. They're doing this so that Tink and Demi get stoked. And I think that it's important to have an integration. I don't think there is a women's skateboarding and a men's skateboarding. I think there's just a skateboarding, but also like demographics and representation and inclusivity is something that's important for the greater sphere. It's not taking spaces away from people who already existed. It's just adding additional spaces for people who never had a spot. I mean, for the majority of my life, I just would wake up at six in the morning and go to the skate park for two hours and then leave because people were going to be assholes to me. So like if I can have a small part in the DC scene of like making kids and women, especially and non-binary folks, trans folks feel comfortable, even in a place like Pulaski, like it's gnarly going there as a woman. Like a lot of my friends won't go there and we're really trying to change that and make it a just more inclusive space. So anyone who's against that is just not really for skateboarding. It's just like, we just want more people to skate. That's all. Brilliantly put. And also for the record, Tank and Demi, the way that they are progressing, just watching them on their dad's Instagram and Darren Harper. Uh, I was in DC during his era when he was the self-described Obama of skateboarding. His words, <laughs> dog, the get familiar premiere, like, this, he got a bigger applause than Gans. True story. But his kids are on the way to being the next Marcus and LeVar. That's the kind of energy I'm seeing from the two of them. The, and also just the, it's not just the joy that I see on their faces. They're nice. They're nice on the board. And, you know, the thing you always notice with younger skaters, especially, you know, kids, is that you always think like, oh my goodness, they're going to get their growth spurt. That's, you know, when your body catches up with what your mind is doing. I mean, we saw it with, with Cater, for example. We saw it with LeVar and it's, that's so exciting. And then, you know, one thing about your point about, uh, you know, Nora's shoe thing is I've been seeing a lot of, seeing a lot of dudes rocking Nora's shoe and all of those shoes are available. You know, whether it's, whether it's Nora's shoe, uh, whether it's Alexis's shoe, they're all available. You know, they're available in men's and women's sizes. They are, it is for everybody in that aspect. And you know, I've definitely seen quite a few pros rocking Nora's shoe. I mean, it, it's doing numbers. Leo Baker's as well. I mean, whenever they're available, um, you know, over at Nike, but that's a whole other discussion. So Jason, you know, you're down in Richmond right now and Richmond is, you know, big DIY scene, lot popping right now. Like how oh, yeah. things over by your neck of the woods and then Mike, same for you. I mean, Maddie, you just nailed it. Like LA, yeah, it's a lot, a lot more, it's a lot bigger of a place. But there are definitely a lot more women, a lot more trans folks just out there skating, doing their thing. So Mike and Jason, how is it in your respective scenes in the Twin Cities and Richmond? Yeah, like I said before, um, just a lot more women and girls, non-binary folk, you know, skating, especially at the one DIY place like Texas Beach, which you've probably seen on Instagram or whatever. It's at, you know, there's like a pyramid ledge, a bunch of graffiti and whatnot, which there wasn't for ages. So that's cool. Oh, real quick. Um, back to Samaria, my mission Samaria. I'm glad she found a home on Meow. You know, don't know if she was, you know, don't know about like getting a check or whatever. That'd be dope. But she's sure as hell wasn't getting a check on Enjoy. So that's dope. Plus she's on New Balance. I should be getting a check from that. I hope like, so. Yeah. She's like second, especially you know, she, she got a cover. You know what I mean? She got a thrasher cover. Yeah. For like any dude, that would be, that's elite tier. I mean, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's bizarre too, because, you know, she's also, I think, I think she's the only black woman who, only black woman who has ever podiumed 
at a major skate contest, you know, which shows we have a long, a long, long way to go. Mike, what about you? What's popping in the Twin Cities? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in the the bucket of somewhat skating alone all the time, or with like, you know, just just the known friends and avoiding people. I, I admit to that. Yeah, like uh, get together and skate together. Oh my gosh, that would be weird. Can you imagine? But, but I mean, like my dot, my daughter is six, and she, let's say every other every other Saturday morning, wants to go to the skate park, the Familia HQ, and do the skate club. And that's like a solid 50-50 boys and girls. You know, it's kind of a 12 and under program. It, it, it's really cool because you you get down to into that age range and everybody's just kind of like, no, oh, we want to skate. We might be, I, I, you know, just, just I'm thinking of 90s skate archetypes, but, you know, we might be the little weirdos in our class or we might be just like kids who like it because it's physical. But there's that that great spectrum. It feels like skating back when when it was like a bunch of random people and a bunch of different different uh kind of personality types at least for that i mean i know there's more women girls non-dudes skating in the scene and i think you know shops are doing a lot at least like the after hour shop here well everybody is promoting you know the different crews that have popped up i'm sure in a lot of scenes to kind of promote you know hey like we are creating a space where you can come and and we're going to make it safe for everybody to be around. Sorry, I'm rambling. One, one thing I wanted to kind of circle back to, Maddie, asking you, like the gap in shop sponsorship for women, like it, it I don't know. I, I often rail on bike shops for making me feel stupid walking in just because I'm not like a bike head or whatever. Like, what could shops do to make it a more welcoming experience for skaters who aren't dudes coming in? I mean, is that is is that a hurdle? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I remember as a kid, I mean, I was lucky. I, I grew up in Maryland and I grew up, uh, if anyone remembers, Pit Crew, which is OG. Oh, yeah. Super dope oh, yeah. street shop, legendary street legendary shop. shop. Yeah. And they were always really nice. So I think that like made it easier for someone like me to go in there and they never made me feel like I wasn't welcomed but I've definitely been in shops even as an adult and like out of town and I get cool guy super hard and they're just like oh you don't even know what you'd want and stuff like that and I'm like I've been skating for 20 years I I know what board I want um and I think that yeah I think that the biggest thing is just like I mean first you can start with like hiring women to work at your skate shop like there's lots of girls in the scene i feel as though the like stereotype of you go into a skate shop and it's like the owner and then the 19 year old like boy who probably is like not very well kept is like that's the stereotype that we see and just like we were talking about before with representation just like hire a girl like they can also put boards together they can also talk about skate stuff like we're also into it and i think that there's just this misconception that the reason that girls skate or that we just can't do that kind of stuff. So that's definitely one thing. I think another thing is just get connected with your local like women's scene. I think that uh, skate shops do a really good job of, I mean, they have to to stay in business of connecting with their local scene. And then there's this side thing where there'll be like um, women and uh, queer skate group in, well, we can use Jason. You live in Richmond. There's the RVA queer skate. I don't know if I said that right. But it's a huge group of people in Richmond. They have like, oh, yeah. like I think like they'll have meet meetups of like over a hundred people who show up to skate. And it's like if you're this, if you're what the skate shop in Richmond is venue, That's right? Nice. Yeah. So like venue, reach out to that uh, queer uh, skate group and be like, hey, like let's do an event together. Like let's just get to know each other. That's one thing I'll shout out the DC skate shop, Crushed and Brian, who owns it. He does a really good job getting to know that side of the skate scene and every somewhat populated city in the United States, I promise you has a queer skate group. They're so popular. They're easy to find. You just have to try. And I think that it's easy to not do that. And skate shops could just start even there, just get to know the people. And even just for business, like 
It's just going to get more people to come into the shop and it's going to help the shop grow and it's going to help the scene overall. Everyone in the scene, not just women and queer people. If more people are coming to the shop, that means they have more resources. That means they can do more events. It means they can do more cool shit for the community. Like the local scenes are so important to foster and we're neglecting such a big part of it right now. I think that it would be really cool to to see shops do that and to kind of give a push to all these folks who maybe traditionally haven't um had that so that would be how i would do it just real quick doing cool shit is a pillar of all good skateboarding so yeah fully agreement so maddie you've just explained to us what you think makes a safe and better skate shop uh you've also just come from a skate trip we again we met maddie at slow impact maddie rips and more importantly was going hard in the pain the entire time um admittedly i was also you know out there talking fits hanging out Maddie was out there skating every single day, was getting clips, doing things. I'm also a little bit older and a little bit slower, so I'm, I'm going to give myself, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be too hard on myself. But Maddie, you've been on the road, and we've heard a lot of stories. We heard stories at Slow Impact. Um, I just came from Stoked Sessions, which was an academic conference down at San Diego State University. There's a panel there uh, led by Professor Indigo Willing, talking about, very similarly, these experiences. What makes for a safe or a safer experience for non-dudes who are getting in the van? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that first and foremost, like we're also just skateboarders and normally we're also immature and we also like stupid like jokes and like it's not that big a deal. I think a lot of times, because traditionally when I go on skate trips or uh, go out filming or anything like that, it's like I'm, it's me and six dudes. So I think they like very nicely and, and politely like will try to filter themselves and which I appreciate in some capacities but also like I think your stupid dick joke is also funny probably like it's not that big a deal and um, so I think first let's just like act like a normal person because that doesn't happen a lot but then on top of that I think it's also like remember that you should maybe think about the really crazy things I've had people say the most insane things in front of me on on skate trips and have made me feel really uncomfortable and I mean homophobic racist anything you could think of I've heard people say on skate trips and I think that once they get past that level of like oh this is like uncomfortable but now you're just one of the boys that it's just like let loose I think there's maybe a middle ground in between like treating us like we are your friend and we are here to just escape just like you are and then without going too far and I think that's just like the basic I don't know just being respectful and and a nice person and I think that's half of it and I think the other part really comes in with like the actual skating I think a big problem that a lot of women and non-traditional skateboarders have I mean I've heard this happen to me and I've heard other folks say the same thing it's like you either don't go to any spots that you can skate or when you do, everyone's bummed and you stay for 30 minutes. And if you don't land your trick in 10 tries, everyone's like over it. But then you go and watch some guy try to do a hard flip for three hours. So I think it's like just being respectful of everyone's like time and like just because they're doing something different and maybe something you think is like not up to whatever silly standard you think skateboarding has to have that doesn't make it less valid because that can be a really uncomfortable experience like you're battling this trick and then you look over and everyone's just like bombed and you're just like okay like now I'm over it now I'm in my head so I think it's just be a nice person and support your friends and love skating just the way you love skating for anyone else so then there's a follow-up to that Maddie as I said earlier skate culture is in a place where it's moving quickly it's progressing it's it's catching up to the rest of society, uh, but institutions like the skateboard industry, and it is an institution, and it has norms, and it has rules, and it has all sorts of things that we can't really see into, even though you know we have rubbed elbows and exchanged text messages and had beers with some uh, titans of industry slash real heavy hitters. So let's say that you, know, you had the ear of um, folks from major distribution companies what do you recommend to them? What do you tell them? What, like, what, what do they got to do to change things? I think that it's kind of harpens back a little bit to what we were talking about before. Like, I really think that it starts small, right? Because right now, I think a big push needs to be just fostering community and fostering growth and fostering like young folks to like 
become these like insane rippers. I mean, we see that right now. The the skill progression in women's street league is like insane. It's like every contest they learn new tricks. And just a few years ago to what they're doing right now is like out of control. So I think that's a huge part of it. Just like give these opportunities and give focus and give representation so that young people like Tink and Demi can become these incredible skateboarders because for so long we didn't really have that many people to look up to and without that it's hard to see yourself do it so I think first they need to create some representation which I feel like is starting to happen we're starting to like find these folks who we can like kind of get behind and rile behind and be like yeah like this is my favorite skater not just like I like Elisa Steamer because I'm a girl so that's pretty rad and then I think also just once girls start to get to a level like we can just use Tink and Demi as an example because I think they're perfect for this once they get old enough I mean I think Tink already does get hooked up which is super rad but as they get older like start giving them free stuff like the difference that I think people maybe undervalue, like, especially as kids, like how much it helps someone progress when they get stuff for free. Like, you don't have to worry about your stuff anymore. Like when I was like a kid, I would be like, all right, I got my one skateboard deck for the year. Like, I can't break it. I can't do any of these things. But if you're just getting shoes and stuff like that, A, it's a confidence booster. B, it just gives access to kids who maybe don't have a lot of help at home like maybe they wouldn't even have a good board to learn their tricks on if these companies aren't hooking them up so yeah start pumping stuff into skate shops like be like hey whatever skate shops you have a girl in the area like we want to send them a board like do that kind of shit i think that's really important and then yeah i mean just just pumping representation and then i think if all of those steps happen then we're gonna see people at the end of the day like making a career out of this and I think we're starting to and there's people like Alexis who are getting shoes but the way I look at it I think that it's more important in some capacities to like help the kids out and help them get to where they need to go than like just like injecting money directly at the top if that makes sense the skate shop angle is something that was like just completely blind to me even though <laughs> famously on this podcast show you know I, I i topped out as a rep flow guy and had some good times doing that but like yeah i i, I had never thought of just all right can you go into the skate shop and do it kind of the way that just sponsorship in general works in terms of get to know the shop get that visibility that way be told by the shop guy hey this girl rips rep guy you should hook her up and then that's how the ball gets thrown line it's I'm glad you've hammered on that, Maddie. It's, again, completely was, like, just something I'd missed. Do we have... I, 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 we, we've been on tangents in terms of uh, the big news of the week. Further comments on the Le the Alexa shoe? I know, um, Maddie, you get, you get hooked up by it. New Balance? Am I reading your Instagram profile right? Yeah, I get, I get New Balance shoes. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of a Nike guy. Anybody going to try out the... Uh, Alexis cons, yeah, AS one. I mean, I'm probably uh, the most sneakerhead type of guy on this podcast. So yeah, I think it's pretty dope. I mean, I was stoked on it on this show last week. Like, I, like I said, it reminds of you know, like an old Converse weapon. You know, something that Larry Bird would wear in 1983. Absolutely. So that's pretty dope. Yeah, I'll probably give it a shot for the summer. Like, you gotta have white shoes in the summer. Absolutely. Memorial Day is coming up. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, but you can't wear no, can't can't wear them after Labor Day. You got to get a different colorway. Got to get the black colorway. The window is wide open in the room. Yeah, it's a pretty big window at this point. Yeah, but you got to cop two pairs because it's like if they're th they're that fresh. Because think about it, we now have three major barbecue holidays at the beginning of summer. So we got Memorial Day, Juneteenth, and Fourth of July. Right? Holy cow! Exactly. So you got to have like a fresh pair. You got to have a pair that's going to look good until July fourth. So. And especially now that, uh, you know, life is back back. Last year, I think it was still feeling quite tentative. You know, folks were, you know, there was still another wave of COVID last year. Now it's like people are, people are outside, outside. It, it, it's, it's in some parts of the country, it's been slow, but in others, it's been fast. Now it's, yeah, people are outside. They're doing things. you got to look fresh. 
And I think that's the thing I really appreciate about Alexis's shoe is that Alexis is a designer and she has a great design aesthetic, you know, and she's, it's just, it, it is, it is, what a wonderful thing that somebody so smart has come out of skateboarding, professional skateboarding. Somebody who is, I could, I could listen to Alexis talk about a wide variety of subjects for hours. And that makes me so exciting. And, you know, you almost get, I almost feel resentful thinking, you know, because skateboarding was and remains such a boys club that we've been denied the opportunity. Think about how many other Alexis's out there, you know, could have been raising the, uh, the, the, the intellectual temperature of skating and at the same time, absolutely ripping, you know, I feel cheated in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, if, it's like Maddie said before, like, I mean, with anyone, once, once you start getting boards, even like one or two a month, like your progression goes, you know, up, you know, it goes into sixth gear. Like not, not like me. I was like, I've never gotten boards, but like saw it with Brian Wenning, saw it with a bunch of kids. So, and like for like big distributions or whatever, like a board or two, board or two a month is like really nothing. Like boxes are nothing. I mean, kind of just talking about the representation, Maddie, I wonder who who were your favorite skaters growing up? That's a great question. I mean, obviously, I loved Elisa Steamer and Marissa was awesome. Unfortunately, she didn't skate for too, too long. And Vanessa Torres was definitely probably my favorite skater as a kid. She came to a demo in Frederick that Picru put on, and it was like one of the coolest things I've ever seen. There was like one other girl in my town who skated. And when we went, we were just like, holy shit, like, this is gnarly. Like, it was just like different levels that you just like, I don't know if you guys remember the first time you went from like watching a pro skateboarder on film to watching a pro skateboarder in real life. And it's like so different. And like, we just like had that experience of like, just the idea. I was like, I didn't even know someone could be this good and look that cool and like dress that tight and like. Just had the whole package. So probably, yeah, probably Vanessa. She's super, super cool. You just touched upon something right there. Those women being in the van was instrumental to you getting stoked on skating. And think about the multiplier effect of those tours. Those tours are really, really important. And you, again, you touched upon something awesome. You see, I remember first time I saw a superstar pro. I saw Eric Costin skating the mini ramp at KCDC in Brooklyn Back in 04, I was with my boy Mike, and the whole room was transfixed. And like this was Costin at his peak peak. You know, he wasn't dorking around. He was absolutely killing it on the mini ramp. And that's an electric feeling. That's a you know, and also as a skateboarder, you're a lot more privileged in being able to do that. Think about how many people out there will never get to see their favorite professional sports player play. Never see their favorite soccer player, never see their favorite football or baseball player. And seeing them up close and personal, you know, can't say that enough. Put more non-dudes in the van. Come on, y'all. You're leaving money on the table if you don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and obviously, like, Alexis's part in PJ Ladd's video was, like, huge, too. But I think that, I think she, like, rode for the firm after that and then kind of, like, stopped doing the sponsored skateboard thing. So I feel like she was, like, not really in my eyes until her, like, kind of like renaissance resurgence which has been pretty rad i mean i think she's always skated but like she went to school and i think she worked as like an architect for a long time too and so i feel like if maybe she got that like love and attention that she's getting now when she was 16 and doing frontside flips down 10 stairs like who knows what she would have been like you know i mean she's this good and got nothing right so like imagine what she Mm. the type of skateboarder that we would have right now if she had those 10 years of her life, like just skating every day, nonstop. I mean, if that's what she wants, it sounds like she's stoked on a lot of things, which I think is pretty rad, but um, just something to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible that I looked it up. Internet says she's 36 and Samaria is 29. Tubbs, Tubbsy, excuse me. Tubbs sounds not like the best nickname, but Tubbsy's cute. Like she's 24 very cool like generational like difference between the people that you know we're kind of trying to highlight right now no greater idea than the idea that you know it's a span of people and a span of like lots of different generations in skating i don't know it's been happening but the bubbling up of you know actual progress 
with women in skateboarding right now is good. So, Mason Silva dropped a new part this week. It's called Take a Lap. A very strong reminder that the 2020 Sodi, hey guys, he continues to rip. Patrick, I know you were juiced on Mason's music selection. Was it the Brian Eno that took this thing over the top for you or something else? The song he skated to, I'll Come Running by Brian Eno, is from the album Another Green World, which was recorded, was it? I think it was 73 or 74. So after he left Roxy Music, it is my favorite Eno song, mostly because of the Robert Fripp guitar solo. And Mason has incredible taste. Uh, I can't remember which followed a day in the life, whatever that he did, where he showed off his record collection, some of his first edition pressings. He's very serious about music. And so am I. And I really appreciate that. And one of my key criticisms of a lot of the the flood of skate content that keeps coming out is that the music is boring at best and anonymous at worst. Um, I'm talking about crappy cold wave or neo cold wave with the vocals mixed down low, anonymous punk music or skate punk or trap music where the, the levels are so blown out that you have to wonder, are my speakers damaged right now? I think it's music is important. Music is really everything. I mean, Mason was rightfully skater of the year in 2020. But for me, as a fan, it's his music selection that put him over the top because it really showed an important part of his personality. Maddie, what did you think of this part? I thought it was really good. Really great spots, really great trick selection. I think something that's very important is good fits. And Mason had some some solid fits. Uh, the one big takeaway that I kind of had was like, a little weird i watched it and i watched it again and i was just like okay now i need to go watch the current part and then i watched that and i was like okay now i need to go watch the louis part and then i was then i watched them all back to back to back and i was like youtube ruined potentially such an amazing skate video because <laughs> those three parts are so linked like they just flow very similar obviously i believe ryan lee did all of them question mark um and I just thought it was really cool that like they still felt really like connected, even though they were all for different brands and all from different places. But it just was like kind of this fun way of rewatching all of them. It like in my brain, I made it into this like super edit, and it was cool to kind of like remember a time when we would get these like incredible skate films that maybe have gone to the way of single parts on YouTube. And like maybe 10 years ago, this would have been like an iconic part that we talked about 20 years down the road. But because it's on a YouTube channel, we'll talk about it tonight and then maybe not very much ever again. <laughs> Good point. Like um, between those three dudes, they all kind of skate those, I guess, street transition spots that for some reason are only in California. Um, there's not around here. If you know of any in DMV, um, shoot me a pin but yeah i mean there's style skaters trick skaters and power skaters i mean mason's a power skater i think mike mentioned that he uh like there's no nolly or switch in this part that you mentioned on twitter that's crazy not crazy in a bad way it's just kind of like anachronistic towards you know the modern day can i jump in for a sec yes he does the i consider it a fakey switch crook on the bank to wall because of his foot setup, and he come, he pops out fakie alley out of the crook. So that's a fakie trick. Can yeah, you, please. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, the part was so good. It kind of made me reconsider my whole shit. Like, like, <laughs> damn, should I become a power skater? Like, should I stop being like a, a like a wannabe like Euro Ledge Ninja or whatever? Should I like change my whole shit up? But um, anyway, I, I'm not, I'm not as psyched on the music as Patrick and everyone else. And uh, here's why. I'm going to tell you why. Like, for someone that ag aggro, if your skate style is that aggro, you should have aggro music. Like, there's very few people that can skate to say, like, Judas Priest or whatever, Pantera, cause on street for street skaters, just because, like, the energy or the intensity, like, doesn't match up. He could, Mason could probably skate to, like, some old, like, Judas Priest, Defenders of the Faith, something off of there, you know, some uh, King Diamond, not true as good to King Diamond, or, you know, some Wasp, like Animal, um, you know, with uh, Fuck Like a Beast in parentheses, some some shit like that. Be before Patrick gets in his bag, I'm going to point out that I skated to Judas Priest in Weekend Warriors. 
beat. As you should have, as well you should have. <laughs> I agreed with that piece of uh, music supervision. I mean, Jason, you're not wrong. I think what's interesting, though, is that by deciding to skate to Brian Eno and not going for something very obviously heavy, uh, you know, Mason is, is showing a certain side of himself. And what's interesting is that I get the feeling like when Mason was on Element, oh, that's who he wrote for. Dog, I, I think that there was there was a, a very risky point. There, there, you know, sometimes like the wrong company. This is not a knock on Element, but he could have been a way more anonymous and boring skater had he stayed on Element. And I think that Exodus. That he was game. on Numbers before that. He was on Numbers. He was on Numbers. Lord. No way. <laughs> I mean, if anybody knows better, please correct me. Uh, no, I think you're right. I could not come to think of it. I think he was in that one numbers video. Remember they made those videos that like weren't like skate videos? No, they they were. It's like they were almost like. Uh, I mean, and and Maddie, this is um, you know, you're in digital media. I used to work in digital media. I think Mike as well. You know, it was the music and the feel was very sort of uh, your stereotypical creative director with the clear glasses and the button up the blue button up with the sleeves rolled up and says like i need a little bit more feel here um this is not speaking to me in a certain way and quite frankly we're on deadline and we need to move faster like that was the feeling of the numbers videos and maddie you 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 touched upon a a a a pretty serious point i'd love you to speak on that a little more like how do you make this stuff more you know how do you make this stuff more memorable because for example back in the day tim and henry's pack alive i'd say arguably the most important Two person, two person joint ever. I mean that that's arguably that that has to be like top five videos of the nineteen nineties. You know, but if it came out now, it would be you know what a ten minute YouTube edit, and wouldn't we forget it? I, I feel we'd forget about it. So you know, how do we how do we make this stuff more memorable, and not just in terms of like making videos, printing copies, having premieres? What else needs to be done to make sure that a part like this isn't just something that we're fumbling for? Where at the skate shop or at slow impact shooting the shit. Yeah, that's tough. I think that like the format of social media and YouTube is kind of challenging to navigate to create something that's memorable. I mean, you kind of touched on it. I work in advertising, I'm a photographer, and our goal with every still photo that we shoot, if it's social media, we want someone to stay on it for 2.3 seconds. If we hit 2.3 seconds, it's successful. And we spend thousands and thousands of time and money and everything to get someone to look at it for 2.3 seconds so i think it's just challenging to like get something going i think i mean unfortunately my brain just not unfortunately but just reality my brain really lives in the other side of skateboarding that we were talking about before where we get like six or seven really cool videos with women and non-traditional skateboarders every year and you remember all of them so i think that the other part of it is just volume i mean like i feel every day when I'm eating my breakfast, I log on YouTube and there's like seven new parts and it's just like almost overwhelming. And then, but yet every, I'll wait two months or more sometimes to get a new part for one of my favorite skaters. So I think that maybe like quantity is not always the answer. And like, maybe we're being a little overloaded with what we're seeing and parts like this Mason part get lost in the shuffle and Maybe companies just don't have to put out as much content, which I know is a crazy thing to say because who wants to see less skateboarding? But if we want to kind of get back to that idea where we have these really nice, like long format things that we remember, we just can't have this level of videos that we get new ones every single day because nothing will ever be special then. Yeah. I mean, with Tim and Henry's when that came out, they were like, you got like one, maybe two videos a year, like, and you watched it all year, then you got another one. Like there are the world videos, maybe like a, like a kind of half-assed SMA video or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like that's like that's why Tim and Andrews made such an impact because I was like, well, here's the world video for you know second half of '92 for the blind video. Let's see, you know, look. But um, yeah, one video that I think you know is really gonna stand out is that uh, Lens Three video. By the way, can you? Does anyone know if you can watch it or buy it? like in full link form anywhere like i'll buy the dvd like i don't care like i just my brain doesn't process watching like nine separate parts on you know thrasher or whatever yeah like i can't i can't attend if the lens to that task if anyone's got a link on the lens video or wants to send all of us some copies we would love that um but that's a really great point and maddie to your point like maybe 
maybe we need to, you know, create a drought in the streets, you know, less content, more skating. It's contradictory as it sounds, but you're right. It's, it's not just difficult to keep up, but the le there's so many skaters who are so good. It's frustrating. But then at the same time, though, I mean, last year with Tyshawn, we got multiple Tyshawn parts, which was amazing, which was beautiful to watch. We, <laughs> you know, we got a bunch of Louis Lopez footage. You know, should we be mad at that? We could never be bad at multiple Tyshawn parts, but I, I retract everything. If we get seven Tyshawn parts this year, I'll be ecstatic. He's incredible. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you kind of just have to curate it. Like, for example, like I just have two two notes on my phone. One is skate videos that I have yet to watch that I'm interested in. The other one is really good parts so far this year. Because even getting ready for this for this pod, I know who said it, Mike or whoever, you know, maybe in the notes or whatever. It's kind of like, oh, best video part this year. Then I was like, man, like what other good video parts have come out this year? Like, I don't remember. <laughs> so then I just like scrolled through the slap, like photos, videos, message board. And I was like, oh shit, there was a Bobby DeKaiser part. That was fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if shit is just like, it's like anything else, if shit is just loose in your mind, it kind of like floats away. But if you, you know, write it down or curate it in, in some way. Then, yeah, I mean, I, I forgot about the Bobby D DK part, and so, yeah, I was, I, I put it in the notes that this was the best part of 2023, <laughs> if if I got that here right. We're all, we're all kind of unordered in our thing. Is it? Yeah, are, are you sure? Yeah, I, I mean, just the, uh, that, the front shove at the China Banks, into the bank, the steep one. Oh, Dude, yeah, let's let's geek out on some tricks. Like <laughs> that was insane because he's going front side and then he front side pop shove it and he uses anti gravity or some shit to get into that scary bank. I don't know. What, riff on this shit, people. Yeah, I mean that, that that's kind of his brand, like power with just a little bit of you know some creativity, looking at shit a different way. You know that that's his brand of, of skating. I think. Personally, I like that uh, 360 with a little nose bonk in the middle on the blue. Oh, that was crazy. Like, you know, you know what I mean? That that was pretty nifty. Never should anyone do that. Yeah, that was really tight. And the, the wall ride at the beginning is obviously, like, insane. But I think for me, the trick that stood out was, like, a middle of the park trick, I'm pretty sure, was the front 180 switch crook over yeah. that, like, gap oh, to ledge yeah. gap. Like, first of all, very tasteful trick. Very cool. And on a great spot because it's like a gap to a ledge. So like the going in front side made it look really cool, but then he had to like pop back out. I don't know. And the way he did it and like his wheel like clipped the dirt. I don't know if you guys noticed this and there was like a puff of dirt. They came off the back of his board when he landed. And I was just like, damn, that looked really cool. So like kind of not the most like insane trick, but definitely the one that stood out to me the most. He had two wall rides in there that were my goodness. I wish I had that type of power. One is where it's a wall next to a, a stair set, ollie into the wall right, and then night like a definitive pop out from that, right? It's the, uh, yeah. Against the brick, uh, the white brick wall. Then the other one is in uh, a spot in Chinatown that Ray Barbie skated in a little promo some years ago, ollieing up a very steep bank in a really rough parking lot that is it's hard to skate that spot. And it's it's kind of a kind of a bust depending on the time of uh, time of the week it is getting up on that, and then again, popping back out. And he makes it look so effortless. He might be, he might be setting himself up for another Sodi run, and I really would not be surprised because he had, he had it on lock in 2020. There was nobody coming close to Mason in 2020. Not even, uh, not even close, you know, because it's the combination of trick selection, a simple aesthetic, you know, his T-shirt and good pants and a nice pair of fresh pair of Nikes. Kind of stuff. Although you definitely saw some some tears and some blood splatter on a couple in a couple of the on a couple of the tricks, he battles for things and he, he skates to good music and also just like his bump to bar stuff. I'd love to see Mason in Philly. You know, I would like to see some Philly action from him. Oh, and then also the frontside flip into um into the China Banks Bank, like riding down that slippery thing. Switch, yo. Uh, I, now we're in like debate format. I contend that the half cab nose blunt slide down clipper is actually the hardest trick. I'm a truther when it comes to clipper in terms of what the hardest trick done down that is. Half cab, I don't know. Think about doing that trick. You're flying out. 
you're putting it all on the line. The all the over front blunt was pretty sick by uh shoot. What's that guy's name? He wrote for real. Thank you. Well, real quick, I watched that clip a bunch of times the past couple of days. It's because we've been debating this on Twitter, like best trick thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that Daryl Stanton trick really counts. Like, I don't know if he was really in blunt position or if he was just kind of sliding down mm. Clipper, like, you know what I mean? Like, a dragged manual is our uh, yeah. end of the pod. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Yeah. There's only two angles. I don't, I mean, all in all, I'd be stoked on doing anything down Clipper, everybody. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm trying to think, yeah, like a half cab nose blunt, like, I'm just trying to conceptualize doing that on a regular ledge. Like, what the hell? <laughs> well, I think, like, the idea of I'll going at that. You go at that thing, and then you're just going to, like, send it all to the world. I don't want to use send it in the regular. You can send you know. it, bro. Yeah, I don't want to use it in those terms, but you're just kind of sending your body into the great unknown. Yeah, like, you do, like, a giant, do like a giant fakey ollie or something. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be uh, stoked on it. crazy. Would you be stoked on something like that, Jason? Oh, yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I'm stoked to get a no slide. Which which brings us to the part of the show where we talk about what we're stoked on this week. Jason, what are you stoked on this week? All right, stoked on Venture Trucks out of San Francisco, California. Stoked on a little edit from uh, Elos, from those boys over there. Uh, it's called Milano. As you would expect, it's footage from Milan, both at the train station and other spots. That is 100% my wheelhouse, so extra stoked on that. Uh, stoked on a little another podcast. People call it a podcast, but it's really a TV show just on YouTube. It's uh, Mace and Cameron's. It's a sports talk show. It's called It Is What It Is. It's crazy. It is so funny, dude. Like the shit they say. Like they can say shit that Stephen A. Smith would never even dream of saying. And like their chemistry is really good. You know, since they've been boys forever. Blah blah blah. So if you're into them too or just sports talk. Definitely check that out. It is so fucking funny, dude. Um, also stoked on New Jersey Devils. Uh, while we were recording this podcast, they beat the Rangers for the third time in a row. They were down 2-0 in the series. And like then, like I said, came back. Now they're up 3-2. So stoked on that and, and that series in general. It's, yeah, it's been a been a barn burner, as they say, in uh, Canada. So, uh, Maddie, what are you stoked on this week? I am stoked on uh, Candy Jacobs' new birdhouse part. I feel like there's so much that happened that we were talking about before that, like, somehow Candy Jacobs got overshadowed, which is crazy because she has, like, the best front tail slide ever. Uh, And also, Tony, if you're listening to this, which you definitely are, give her a board. Um, I am stoked that I finally learned how to sit on a front crooked grind. That was pretty cool. They're very fun. And I'm also stoked that I'm finally home. I was out of town for like two weeks and I get to go to the plaza and I get to hang out with my partner, Katie, and I get to cuddle with my cat. Patrick, what are you stoked on? First of all, I'm stoked on Spitfire Wheels, but I'm even more stoked. The New York Knicks just ended 10-year NBA playoff drought. They're moving on. Knicks tape, baby. Ah! I'm, I'm beyond excited. As I said earlier... I'm really stoked that I was at the Stoked Sessions Academic Conference at San Diego State University. Uh, tons of great people were there. Got to meet Professor Indigo Willing, who was a guest on our show, has a book coming out with Anthony Papalardo, the writer, coming out soon. That's going to be really exciting. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, also got to meet uh, Jim Donaghy and uh, Slaney Brown, who are from the north of Ireland. They're from a little town called Portrush. And they've been trying to get a skate park for a really long time. And it's actually a pretty interesting it's a pretty interesting tale of civic advocacy, the troubles in the north of Ireland. Uh, Jason, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. And just they were super fun and interesting. I mean, everybody at the Stoked Sessions was awesome. There were so many good talks and it was frustrating not to be able to attend them because a lot of stuff was happening concurrently. Looking forward to going back next year and to linking with people from all over the world, being a bunch of nerds about skating. And um Something I just discovered was that Grant Balfour, who played for the Oakland A's, used to have uh, his intro with Metallica's One, and there's a video of it, of it. And I was thinking about it because the A's are going to be leaving Oakland and they're moving to Vegas. So 
sports are abandoning Oakland, and I feel really bad for Oaklanders because Oakland's a cool city, and uh, they deserve better. And finally, this very weekend, tomorrow actually, is Oliver's Gotcha Day. We've, we got uh, we adopted Oliver the Cat five years ago, and he is the absolute best. He, a great joy. He's been here for us, me and my wife, Kate, uh, in good times and in bad, and uh, he's the best dude. Mike, what are you stoked on this week? Man, I'm stoked on going out and skating. What was the other night? It was Tuesday night. Just got to actually skateboard outside, not at a skate park, in Minneapolis. And I don't know. I'd skated outside this year, but it was the first time skating outside this year in Minneapolis because the winter was very, very long. And I think we're, we're, we're done with the winter, but yeah, that's like TBD until... May happens this year because just because I'm I'm superstitious. So that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostly skateboarding.net where Templeton will be uh so kindly as he always is putting up links and other show notes about stuff that we talked about on this show. Until then, you can keep up with us online. Jason, where can the people find you on the internet, please? On Twitter at Carbonite1994 on Instagram at Frozen Carbonite and uh, writing stuff for quartersnacks.com uh, my interview with another DC local uh, Kevin Augustine just went live on there so uh, yeah check it out um, Patrick where can the people find you? You can find me under the handle at Colonel K Speaks on Twitter at Pikigongo on Instagram and as the chairman of the executive board for the Harold Hunter Foundation Maddie, where can the people find you on Bobby Digital's internet? Uh, you guys can find me at uh, Front Grinds on both uh, Instagram and Twitter. Very smart handle usage. Uh, for me, Mike, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Not yet Blue Sky. No, it's is Blue Sky the new one? That's not going to happen? Oh, yeah. Blue Sky. Sorry. Right. They're going to try, but <laughs> Twitter's going to be... And I get an invite code. Anyone get a blue sky invite code? Yeah, it sounds pretty whack over on that other, that other one. Uh, my handles are at M Munzenrider. We'll see y'all next week. There. I'll find a place somewhere in the corner. I'm gonna waste the rest of my day. Watching patiently from the window Just waiting to see exchange something For hope, my dreams will pull you through that garden gate I want to be the wandering sailor We're silhouettes by the I'll come running to tie your shoe I'll come running to tie your shoe I'll come running to tie your shoe I'll come running to tie your shoe